0: I just want you guys to know what a gift Steve has been to me Sheena has been to our family and this man from the moment I met him in seminary I've seen Christ in his life through his life and I know you've seen it here but the passage that comes to my mind when I think about you Steve is Mark chapter 10 verse 45 that says Jesus came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many and I have seen on so many occasions you're reflecting the character of Christ in the way that you serve him and the way that you serve your family and the way that you've served me and the way that you serve this church And so thanks for having me here yeah. well it is so good to be with all of you today and just this morning as I as I woke up and I thought you know I'd love to pray for you just in a in a way that might be a little different I I thought of Psalm 91 are you familiar with Psalm 91 I'm just gonna open up Psalm 91 and I'd love to pray for you and I'm gonna ask would you stand and just just lift your your heart to the Lord. Maybe even if you're comfortable, you may not be, that's fine. But I think just a posture of dependency is healthy sometimes. And so if you're comfortable, you don't have to, just, just maybe lift your hands, your heart to the Lord and your head bowed. Father, we come to you this morning because we need you. We are your children, the sheep of your pasture. Jesus, you are our shepherd. You're a good and perfect shepherd. And I pray today, in particular, that you would speak to your sheep in personal ways, as you promised in John 10, that your sheep would hear your voice. And Lord, there may be some lost sheep that you've been pursuing, and they know it you've been pursuing their hearts and you have brought them here today to speak to them tenderly and gently and powerfully and so I just pray you would bring them home and that they would come running home to you in their hearts in their minds that you would liberate that you would free that you would rescue Lord. the darkness in this world can Be so tangible at times, but even the darkness is light to you. Lord, we know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities, but even the demons tremble at your voice. And so I pray this morning in your name, Jesus, and we just run to dwell in your shelter you are the most high god there is none above you here in hingham there is none above you in boston there is none above you in bangladesh there is none above you in baghdad there is none above you
1: in birmingham
0: you are the king of kings and the lord of lords and even now god i see That beneath the eagle, yes, there's an elephant and a donkey, but you are the lamb. And it's your kingdom that will rule and reign forever. And I pray that your kingdom, even in this room, would come and that your will would be done and that our allegiance would be to none other ultimately than to you. And that you would show your authority and your power and that you would liberate people from darkness and perhaps even demonic oppression, and that you would use this church to bring light and truth and the power of the gospel to the nations in new ways, in fresh ways, in beautiful ways, that your word and your spirit would awaken your church in even more powerful ways. God, thank you for the history of this church. Thank you for Pastor Cody. Pastor Steve, thank you for how you shepherd your people through them, through the elders here. Lord, I pray for even more fruit, that the latter uh, years of this church would be even more fruitful. Lord, more churches planted, more churches revitalized, like the miracle that Pastor Cody mentioned a few moments ago. Lord, I pray that more young people, more families, more Older people, God, that you would that you would bring about harvests through the work of this church, even this next year, in new ways, for your glory, for your praise, for your honor. Jesus, you're our refuge and fortress, and we trust in you. We will not fear, God, you've not given us, this church, a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. And so we rest in you as our dwelling place today. And we pray that you would speak to us even now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can be seated. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is where we'll spend most of our time today. You can turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I love the the theme of this missions conference and celebration. Uh, I'd like for you just to look up at the screen for a moment. I'm going to keep this image behind me throughout our time together this morning because I want us to reflect on planting and watering. You'll see here in a few moments in 1 Corinthians 3 that, that Paul, who's writing to the church at Corinth, he says, hey, I planted, Apollos watered, But God calls the growth. Planting and watering and watching. Planting, watering, and watching God do what we could never do in our own strength and power. It's so beautiful that we get to be a part of what God is doing in this world, isn't it? We get to be a part of what our Father, our Heavenly Abba, our Dad is doing. You'll hear me make reference to to my pawpaw at different times. Do y'all have pawpaws here in Boston area? Y'all have pawpaws in Hingham? In Alabama we have pawpaws and nannies. Maybe you have those here too. But when I was little I used to spend a lot of time with my pawpaw and you guessed it, he was a farmer. And so he would wear his overalls and his white t-shirt and he had his boots on and so, so guess what I wanted? I wanted overalls and boots and, and he would go out in the garden. He was also a carpenter. I, I say he's the second best carpenter to ever live and walk the earth. Behind Jesus, of course, my Pawpaw. But we would go out in the garden, and he would, of course, plant seeds. All types of seeds. Corn, tomatoes, green beans. And, and he would water. And he had this, like, interesting system. The, the garden was right next to a creek we call them creeks, cracks sometimes, you know. And, and he, he did some piping and stuff, and he made it to where it was just continually watering the garden. So I got to watch it, you know. I would spend the weekends with him, or sometimes during the summer I would go spend with him, and, and we would plant seeds. And it was hard, y'all, for a little boy, it was hard. Sometimes that my grandparents would joke with me. They said, uh, I came home one day when I was about 10, and said, Pawpaw, I've been sweating in my shoes today. I didn't know feet could sweat. It's hard work planting and watering, but what was amazing is when harvest time came, I mean, you could go out there in the garden, it was beautiful, there was just stalks of corn and ripe tomatoes, and and they would take all of, one of my favorite things was the tomatoes they would take, and they would can the tomatoes. You ever had some canned tomatoes? Canned maters and canned green beans? It was beautiful that the harvest resulted in celebration and joy and delight around the dinner table and here's the the picture that I have especially at a missions conference like this don't you love this we just sang it thank you for leading us in that song that um, and we read the scripture right God is moving all human history towards people from every tribe and tongue and nation worshiping him that God is moving all human history towards the multi-ethnic bride of Christ, worshiping him forever. And then I love Revelation 19, don't you? That God is moving all human history towards a feast, a banquet, a celebration of the harvest of the seeds that have been planted and the seeds that have been watered throughout human history. And even today, that there'll be people from every tribe and tongue and nation at the wedding supper of the lamb and I know they're gonna have canned tomatoes I just know it (laughs) right And maybe some lobster why because God is a good God he's a good God and he loves the people of the world he loves the nations and he is concerned no doubt that we think about him accurately and precisely and rightly And so theological and doctrinal precision is very important. It's essential. But so is missiological passion and fervency. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And so we are most like him when our hearts are burdened like Paul's was. Remember when he prayed He prayed for the lost with tears. He prayed for the lost with tears. I mean, he knew that God was sovereign. We know that God is sovereign. There's no question about that. But he felt something about God, and he felt something about people. He loved people. And you love people. I've seen it already. I've met so many of you, and I've heard stories already of seeds that you've planted, and seeds that you're watering, and churches that you've been a part of planting, and churches that you've been a part of revitalizing, and I just pray that this morning, your commitment this next year would be even more passionate and more fervent. Romans 12 says, if you're going to lead, you ought to lead with zeal, and that zeal only comes from the Spirit, and the Spirit is alive in this church. He's alive in your lives, and I see it in the way that you sing, and I see it in the way that you love, and I see it in the way that you give. And so I just want to challenge you to keep doing that and to do it in even greater ways this next year, even more fruitful ways, more effective ways, more faithful ways. First Corinthians chapter three, you ready? Paul writes to a church that's struggling in so many different ways in Corinth among the paganism of that time, the the idolatry there in Corinth. And he says in verse 1, But I, brothers, I couldn't address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Now a couple things before we keep going. Look look up at chapter 2 right? He says, I couldn't address you as spiritual people. Uh, You're you're following Christ, you're a part of the church, but you're not mature yet. You're still drinking milk. And that's good. I mean, drink milk, but I want you to move up, Paul would say, to Gerber graduates. You remember Gerber graduates? I mean, physically speaking, spiritually speaking, they're spiritual Gerber graduates. You got to move on to the peas and the carrots and and then if you can handle that, you go to the spaghetti. You know how they chop up the spaghetti and put it in there? And then maybe if you move beyond that, you get like a real bowl of spaghetti, but mama still chops it up for you. And then one day, one day, one day, you might be able to handle steak and potatoes, the meat of the word. And he says, you're not, you're not there yet, Corinth. And so in chapter 2, notice what he says. Let's just say, look at verse 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, just in the context. He says, but, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. This is great. What has God prepared for those who love him? A lot. Verse 10, look at it. Uh, These things God has revealed to us. This is interesting, isn't it? Through the Spirit. Wow, through the Spirit. He says, for the Spirit searches everything Even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. I won't keep reading, but here's what I want to say. Um, The church at Corinth and many of the people there, they were believers. They were in the church, but they were fleshly. They were carnal. Uh, They had not yet learned to walk in the spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh. Jesus had already purchased their freedom. They already had freedom, but they had not learned to to refrain from quenching the Spirit. Which you can quench the Spirit. I mean, you have a will, and you can quench the Spirit. Um, And so, how does the church walk in step with the Spirit? He says, here's one way you don't do it. Look, for example, in verse 2. Uh, I fed you with milk, he says, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you're not yet ready. For if you are still, you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? I think about a wonderful conference like this, and so many people that we heard preach, teach, share testimony yesterday. And even already, you've heard from so many voices. There's a tendency that we have as human beings to—we all like certain styles, certain uh, people, the way that they share, the way that they talk. And the the fleshly side of us wants to elevate one teacher, one preacher, one leader— and then that brings strife and jealousy and conflict and Paul is saying don't you realize that's carnal that's fleshly don't you realize that that what brings us together as believers is Christ is Jesus look at verse 5 he says um, or verse 4 he says for one of you says I follow Paul I follow Apollo so you're not being merely human verse 5 what then is Apollos? What is Paul? They're just servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each one. Now, you know, you know Paul. You know Paul was messed up in so many ways until Jesus rescued him. And then even after Jesus rescued him, he's still a mess that's being made into a masterpiece and Apollo's the same is true they're both different they had different backgrounds different gifts different abilities they're both messes I mean Apollo had to learn from Priscilla and Aquila they're, but but Jesus is making a masterpiece out of them and and Jesus is the focus he's the emphasis can I tell you a little bit about my mess can I tell you about my mess so <clears throat> My mother grew up in a small country town in rural Alabama called Winfield, Winfield. And she grew up in poverty. My, my grandfather, my Papa that I told you about, uh, before he stopped drinking when I was 10, he was a roaring alcoholic. I've heard stories of him throwing up blood. But occasionally, my mom would go to a local church in their area in that small country town. And she actually started taking piano lessons when she was a young teenager. And sadly, one of the ministers who was teaching her piano sexually molested her as a child. You can only imagine how that shaped the way that she thought about the church, how she thought about God how she thought about herself. It began a journey of wandering and away from God, away from Christ, away from the church. She she tried to find her identity in places like all of us do because we live in a messed up world, a messy world that our God entered into because he runs to the messes, to the darkness to bring his light. And she began to try to find in men, in friends, in people, in, this is weird, isn't it, in sexuality, of which she was hurt by. And so she met a man that showed her some attention, and she got pregnant with me as a teenager. Here's what makes the story a little bit more interesting, is she came from the, the white side of Winfield, and this man that she had met who was a student there at the school he was he was black now let me tell you a bit about my dad's story my birth father's story uh, they were poor also in fact they grew up in a cinder block house one room one room cinder block house and my grandfather on that side was a moonshiner literally made moonshine and my aunts have told me stories of when they would be brought to his house he would actually try to to woo them to himself, my grandfather, on my dad's side. So she gets pregnant, right? <clears throat> and and in the 1970s in rural Alabama, a black man, a white woman, teenagers. She gets pregnant. Let's just say they had trouble. Let's say they had challenges on multiple levels, right? I mean, just the immorality of that certainly brought certain challenges. Um, and then my mother's friends got together and they raised enough money. They told her that we raised enough money for you to go have this child taken care of, to have him aborted. And I mean, with all the tension going on, I mean, bricks being thrown through the windows of their house, their cars being keyed, it was challenging. And so she decided that that was the best thing to do, she thought. And so the nearest abortion clinic slash hospital to her in Winfield was in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Can I get a Roll Tide? That's where the Crimson Tide plays if you didn't know that. So she goes to this clinic in Tuscaloosa and she goes in and she sits down next to a woman who's a little bit further along in her pregnancy. They call her back. She goes back They take her through a questionnaire, my grandmother later told me, they take her through a questionnaire, and they get to the last question, and the last question was, are you sure you want to go through with this procedure? And my grandmother said, it just kind of clicked with my mother, because she had sat next to a woman who was a little bit further along in her pregnancy, that what was inside of her was a child, was a life. And so she got up off of the operating table, walked out of the clinic, went back to Winfield, and she and my birth dad decided they were going to move to the promised land. Like, right, the racial promised land in Alabama? Birmingham. Birmingham. I'm sorry, Birmingham. They decided to get away from the racial strife. They were going to move to Birmingham. And I grew up in a, in a, in a pagan home in a broken home, in a messed up home. It wasn't long before my birth father's dabbling in alcohol like his dad and dabbling in marijuana like his family turned into crack. And his womanizing continued and he left us when I was about two and we lived there in the inner city of Birmingham until my grandparents provided enough means for us to move to the suburbs of Birmingham in Homewood, but every single weekend I would go to the country where Paw Paw and Nim lived. But here's what I learned growing up after a while, that as much as I loved certain aspects of the city and certain aspects of the suburbs and certain aspects of the country, none of it could satisfy this hole in my soul. This hole in my soul that that no location on this earth could satisfy, that no person could satisfy, that no sport could satisfy, and, and there were times growing up where friends of mine would take me to churches like this, I mean, very much like, very much like this in Birmingham, and I remember sleeping in the pews, like some of you right now, I'm kidding, <laughs> okay, I actually don't see anybody sleeping but except for you back there, I'm kidding, I'm just kidding. But that's what I would do, all right? Um, And then I would go to Sunday school at times, and I would go to vacation Bible school. There was a church behind the apartment complex that I grew up in, and I loved the cookies and the Kool-Aid, and the people loved me, and they knew my name, and they would talk to me, and they would share stories of Jesus. And so I knew kind of the stories. But when I went off to college at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, that first year, I mean, because at that point, at 19, I'd almost tried everything, and nothing could fill this hole in my soul. And I was at a party one night, and there were two teenage girls at the party. They were talking to each other. They weren't even talking to me, and they were planting and watering. They didn't even know it because they weren't talking to me. They were planting and watering. They didn't know it. They were planting and watering like the people that I interacted with at Vacation Bible School. They were planting and watering like the people that I had heard preach and teach even while I was sleeping subconsciously. There were people all throughout my life that were planting and watering seeds in this pagan little boy that had a hole in his soul that had so much mess and baggage and background. So I'm at this party, and there are these two teenage girls, and they were talking to each other. They weren't even talking to me. And one of them said to the other, if you're going to read the Bible, you should start from Matthew. It's in the New Testament. Now listen, let me be honest with you. I was the last person to read anything. I didn't even read Sports Illustrated articles. I looked at the pictures and watched ESPN. One of them said to the other, if you're going to read the Bible, you should start from Matthew. It's in the New Testament. And I just heard that, right? And thought nothing of it. Three weeks later, I was so miserable and broken that I remembered her saying that and I went to a shelf because somebody had given, somebody had sown a seed and given me a Bible years before and I went and got that Bible and sat down at the dining room table of where I was living with my friends at that time and I opened it up, guess where I opened it up to? Yep, Ezekiel. (laughs) I'm kidding. So I literally had to look at the table of contents and find the page number, Matthew turn to Matthew, and you know the first chapter, this is not like the best place to start, anyway. I turn to the first chapter, and it's the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And I kept reading. (laughs) And here's what's amazing. I had no idea what it meant, the genealogy of Jesus, but here's, here's part of what God was doing. What I needed most is to know that my identity was not in my brokenness. My identity was not even in my Mixed up ethnicity and confusion. My identity was not in my family tree, not in my genealogy. My identity was the fact that there was a God who made me. And he's the same God that made you. And here's the reality. Me and Steve, he may not have told you this, but me and Steve have the same daddy. I mean, it goes back pretty far. And you and I have the same mama. In fact, all of us are united under the creator God who made all of us in his image, and we are the human race, and not only is he the God of creation, here's what he was doing at that dining room table, he was revealing himself to me not only as creator, but as redeemer, as rescuer, as savior, as liberator. Now, I wouldn't have been conscious of it at the time, but I needed to find my identity not in sports, not in girls, not in education, not in race, ethnicity, not in, anything, not in anything this world has to offer. I needed Christ. That hole in my soul that nothing in this world could satisfy met me at the table, and I got to the birth of Christ and I'd heard about it from seeds that had been sown and seeds that had been watered by people like you. And I read the birth of Christ and I encountered the resurrected Christ in the pages of his word and he awakened my heart and when I saw him in all of his beauty and all of his glory and all of his majesty I repented and I trusted in him in that moment at that table. And that teenage girl that wasn't even talking to me who was sowing seeds and watering seeds, she had no idea what God had done through her. And you have no idea what God's doing through you. You have no idea. When he brings you home one day, And he shows you how he's used all the money that you've given, all the time that you've spent, all the conversations that you've had. When he shows you one day on that day all the seeds that you've sown and all the seeds that you've watered, that he is bringing a harvest of souls, and you get to be a part of it, just like I got to be a part of the gardening with my pawpaw. It's amazing, isn't it? You and I have the privilege of working with our Father. What else would you rather do? What's the purpose of your life here on earth? To know and love and glorify God. To know and love and honor people. Well, how can you do that? I'll tell you you how you can do it. Plant seeds. Water seeds. Share the best news that this world has to offer. The good news of Jesus. Tell stories of Jesus. Have conversations about Jesus. Just weave it into everything that you do. Let him live his life through you. And let him take everything that he's given you and just even this morning just as an offering and sacrifice of praise just give it all to him Lord. whatever you know I heard the story Randy Alcorn wrote a great book called money possessions and eternity and in that book he tells the story of a real estate agent in the California area if I remember rightly and she had amassed a a, a real estate portfolio. And she was quite wealthy, and she had a lot more wealth in that real estate business. And one day, she was at a conference, a missions conference, and, and God spoke to her heart. And he gave her a number to give, and she was shockingly surprised. And she wrestled with it for a while. Lord, are you sure you want me to give that much of the wealth that I have and the real estate that I have? And God just spoke to her heart and said, yes, I want you to give this amount. Well, she wrestled with it for a few days and she decided to resist the Holy Spirit. And you can, right? I mean, God's sovereign, no doubt, and human beings are responsible And you can grieve the Spirit, you can quench the Spirit, you and I can resist the Holy Spirit. And she did, she decided to, because she knew better, she thought. And if I remember rightly, this was right on the precipice of the financial meltdown of the United States in 2007-2008, and she lost everything. She could have invested in the kingdom of God. She could have increased her eternal portfolio. I mean, some of us think we're long-range planners, right? You got a long-range plan? 60 years? 70 years? Awesome. How many of you in the room have a 7,000-year plan? How many of you have thought about how you're going to invest all that God has given you into eternity, into a kingdom that will last forever? You ought to think about the next 10,000 years. And here's the thing. You and I never know what tomorrow might bring. You don't know how long you have to live. You and I need to listen to the Spirit of God through the Word of God, but also in personal ways. What do you need to give today of your time, of your energy? Who do you need to talk to? What stories of Jesus, what seeds can you show? So, what seeds can you water? The Apostle Paul, right, who's writing this. There was a time, you know the story, when he was persecuting Christians. But one day, he just so happened to be next to a man that was being stoned to death. Stephen, you remember? And the light through Stephen's life shone so brightly, even when they were pelting him with stones. And Stephen, remember, looked up to heaven. It's amazing. And Jesus, who had sat down at the right hand of the Father, remember, at his ascension? stood up and honored the seeds that Stephen was sowing. And Stephen died and he went home to be with with Christ. And in that moment, his spiritual legacy lived on. I don't know how long you're gonna live, but I know this that if you're steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, your labor in the Lord is never in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, at the end of the chapter. There are things that you can do today, there are decisions and choices that you can make today that will have eternal significance, eternal impact. Don't let anything on this earth Don't let anything in this world prevent you, keep you, from living fully, totally, sold out to Jesus who loves you and gave himself for you. Paul, who was there as Saul when Stephen was stoned, a little while later, encountered Jesus supernaturally, and Jesus spoke to him, and Paul was blinded, and in Acts chapter 9, we we read about a man named Ananias, and God spoke to Ananias, by the way, in a vision, and says, I want you to go talk to Paul, this man that I've just I've just transformed and begun to work in his life. And Ananias says, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. You know, I've heard about him. And the Lord said, No, Ananias, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing in Paul's life, and you get to be a part of it. I want you to go pray for him. Pray for him? Yeah, I want you to go pray for him. And, And so Ananias obeys God with fear in his heart, and he prays for Paul, and God removes the scales from Paul's eyes and he uses a man named Ananias. And I, I'm just going to probably venture to say there are probably some Ananiases in this room. And you might not ever uh, shake up the nations. You might not ever be a frontier, you know, frontline church planter in, in unreached people groups. But you never know how God is using your prayers for people, for the lost, for his church, for the mission. And so I actually believe one day when you stand before the Lord and he shows you all the ways that he's used you, your delight and pleasure will be so full in him. And he's going to say, you know, I'm a good God, and I was using you in all of these ways. And I think part of the joy is him showing us how we got to be a part of our father's work. Our Abba's work. We got to go to work with him. Where did we go to work for him? In the farm. In the farm. Doing what? Sowing seeds. Water. He doesn't need us. My Papa didn't need me. He doesn't need us. He wants us. To know the joy of being with him and by his side. To know the joy of fulfilling his mission. Can I tell you one last story? Jesus in John chapter 4 he met a woman who was there at the well and remember she was messed up she had a lot of mess in her life and background and she, she was a Samaritan but Jesus didn't care about any of that he didn't care about any of that he met her right there and he spoke straight to her heart because she was looking for something that the wells of this world could never satisfy That's what she was looking for, something that the wells of this world could never satisfy. And so Jesus says, Listen, you keep drawing from this well and you're going to continue to be thirsty. But if you drink from the water that I have for you, you'll never thirst again. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but she eventually recognizes who she was talking to the water of life, the living water. And she drinks, and she's satisfied, and what does she do? One woman. She goes to her village. Do you remember the story? Look at it with me. John chapter 4. She goes to her village of Samaria, and listen to what it says. John chapter 4. Verse 35. She's gone to the village. She's told people what happened to her. Verse 35. Jesus says, Do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So that the sower... And the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did the woman's testimony you have a testimony Christian you have a story you have a life story I want to challenge you to learn how to tell your story from birth and even the womb learn how to tell your story in a way that highlights the grace of God and the glory of Jesus Christ learn how to tell every story that way learn how to listen well to other people's stories so that, by listening well, you can take the story of God, the story of Jesus, the story of the gospel, you can tell your story, connect with their story, and you can help them to see how the only way to make sense of their life and their mess is in the, the story of God, the masterpiece of God, the master himself. A couple of weeks ago, a young lady came up to me and she... She said. She said, "You know, I just, I just had an abortion." And she began tearing up. She began crying. She said, um, "The shame that I feel right now. I'm not sure how much longer I can handle it." She said the man that I've been with is abusive on every level verbally physically emotionally sexually she said I've gotten to the point where I've, I'm beginning to cut my arms and I honestly if I was honest with you I don't want to live anymore and, and and here's what happened she's telling me her story and you know this if, you, if you've done this long enough the Spirit of God Led me what to say to her. I I believe that. This wasn't premeditated. And here's what I said. I said. um, You're valuable to God. Do you believe that you're valuable to God? And here's what she said. With tears coming down her eyes and a trembling lip. She shook her head. And I said. Not only are you valuable to God. You matter to God. Now, I, I'm basing all this right off of God's word, which we know is clear, right? She's valuable to God. She matters because she's made in his image. I didn't tell her all that, but she shook her head. No. I said, you know that God loves you, right? She shook her head. Do I have to talk about it? I'm, I'm basing that off John 3.16, that he so loves the world. But I didn't tell her that. I'm just talking to her and I said um, well here's the thing I know with certainty that's true and so I'm going to ask you to do something with me you don't have to if you're not comfortable that's fine but I believe that with all my heart and so in this moment would you just just repeat after me if you're comfortable you don't have to say I'm valuable to God and through tears and a trembling lips she she was able to utter the words utter the words I'm valuable to God and I said again Not premeditated. I feel like the Holy Spirit's leading me in this way. I said, "Um, Would you repeat after me? I matter to God. And she said, I matter to God. And her head started lifting a little bit. And I said, Would you say this with me? Say, God loves me. And her head began to go back down and she couldn't say it. And here's what I said I said, Listen, God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross he took our shame he took our shame so that by faith we could become honored sons and daughters of God and I said do you believe that Jesus loves you and she said if what you just told me is true and she said it with her own words I believe that Jesus loves me she said, I have not felt peace like this in my entire life. Here's what Jesus does. He takes our shame and on the cross he bore it so that we could be honored sons and daughters. I should probably stop there. (laughs) If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, I encourage you to surrender, turn away from your sin, and put your faith in him today. If you have already trusted in Christ, I want to challenge you to spread the best, news of the shame-canceling Savior to the nations and to give everything to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son Jesus, in whom we find rest and peace. And God, all around this facility, there are people that are in anxiety and fear and depression, suicidal ideation. There are people that are hurting themselves, hurting others. There are people that have denied you as creator, who've never heard of you as savior. Would you allow us to be used by you in even greater ways in this community? and to the ends of the earth. Lord, show us how to become seed sowers, seed waterers, so that we might watch you, you alone, cause the growth. In Jesus' name, amen.